So we're in this series on Galatians, and uh, I want to get through it before we start the You Asked For It series. And if you remember two weeks ago, we were in Galatians chapter 5, and we were dealing with the battle that's going on between the flesh and the spirit. And Paul, simply trying to be helpful, is a description in the middle and last part of chapter 5 of the normal spiritual life. He says that we are still in the flesh, that the deeds of the flesh are obvious, and he gave that big, ugly list of obvious deeds of the flesh, which was sexual immorality and sorcery and strife and jealousy and anger and all those things. And then he said that for the normal Christian, the way you do battle against those deeds of the flesh is with the fruit of the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has planted a seed in you and you nurture that seed and you cultivate that seed, that fruit of the Holy Spirit which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and all those things. And we talked about those things. And Paul was talking about the normal Christian life, the normal spiritual life. And now we know there's no chapter breaks in the Bible. We go from chapter 5 to chapter 6. Paul didn't write it that way. We added that. And so his thought is just flowing through into chapter 6. He now says, this is the normal Christian life that you live together. That's how you are to live as Christians individually, but now he wants to say, this is how you wage that war together as community in the family, in the church, and that's what we're going to look at today in Galatians 6, 1 to 5. And uh, you can turn there in your Bibles if you don't have one, there should be one nearby in front of you. Let me just pray before we read these five verses. Father God, you have a message for us today, and I pray that our hearts would be open to it and that we would examine ourselves Uh, even as your text here says and will say to examine ourselves and to guard our own hearts, how we behave in the family of Christ and how we are doing this spiritual battle together to preserve the wholeness and the holiness and the purity of your saints and to rescue those who are trapped. I pray that this message would come through by your Holy Spirit and would open our eyes and our own hearts to how you would have us behave and how we would be as your church in this community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 5 reads, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. Bear one another's burdens. I was actually going to title this because it was Father's Day. I was going to title this sermon, Do You Even Lift, Bro? <laughs> You've got to be on the Internet to get that. Um, Because that's what basically Paul is asking the people of the church here, and I'm asking the guys today, do you even lift, bro? Like, do you lift the burdens of those around you in your Christian walk, in your church family? Do you even lift? That's the question. And there's a lot to cover that we could cover in these verses, but I'm going to focus mainly on verse 1 because because Paul's going to give the specific case of how the church must normally function together in dealing with sin in verse 1. And then, just so you understand the text, he's giving a specific case in verse 1. And then in verses 2 to 5, he's expanding from the specific case to the general case. And I'll address that more briefly at the end. But just keep that in mind, that Paul deals specifically with our duty to restore people caught in sin. And then how we bear each other's burdens. So he says, brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, 
Restore such a one to a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. And there's four verses, four key words there that we have to get right in order to get this verse right. And the first one uh, is caught and then trespass and then spiritual and restore. And it says, if anyone is caught in any trespass or sin or wrongdoing. And what does Paul mean here by caught? Does Paul mean like, aha, I caught you? Like if anyone in the church gets caught sinning, you know, like the sin police have found them out. And so they have been caught in the act of sinning and you thought you were going to get away with it, but I got you and now we got to go see the elders or we got to go see the pastor so you can get scolded or get your detention or whatever it is you're going to get. No, that, that's not the caught that Paul is talking about here. The word is um, promalambeo. Prolamam- no, I've said it wrong. Promalambano. What a great Greek word. Promalambano. Just rolls off the tongue. But it literally means in anticipation. It means overthrowing. And so when, when Paul talks about caught here, it, it literally means like to be mugged or overthrown by sin. It's caught as entrapped. Or think of this as enmeshed or snared. And so it reads, if anyone is snared or trapped in any sin, you who are spiritual, restore them. This is about seeing a brother or sister who is caught. They are drowning. They're in the quicksand. They're in the mud. They're caught in the net, and we must restore them. And so I said sin there, but the word there is trespasses. And and so it asks the question, well, what are these trespasses? And we can't forget that Paul was just talking about what these things are that people can be trapped in. He just explained them in the list in chapter 5. He said, these are the sins, the works of the flesh. And he named them in verse 20 of 5. He said, immorality and impurity and anger and envy and strife and jealousies and discord and all of that stuff. And we don't intend to get trapped in them. This is the important thing to understand, Christians. We don't intend to get trapped in those things as followers of Christ. We don't want to get tangled up in anything in that list. We read that list and we say, we don't want any part of that. But we do get ensnared by those things. We do get trapped in anger. We get enmeshed in jealousies. We get caught up in immorality. And Paul literally says that this battle of the spirit and the flesh can cause the situation, in verse 17 he says in chapter 5, that you may not do the things that you please. And so Paul says, this will happen to you, brothers and sisters. You will get caught. You will get ensnared from time to time. In the battle with our flesh, we will do things that we do not please to do. We don't want to do those things, but we do. Paul even says of himself in Romans chapter 7, and and Romans chapter 7 is really a description of the Christian life in a moment of weakness, lacking the victory of the Spirit. And then chapter 8 is a description of the Christian life in victory. And so you have those two chapters, 7 and 8, a comparison of the Christian life living in victory or not. But he says of himself in Romans chapter 7, he says, For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. So understand this verse, that this is the normal Christian life together, that we struggle against the flesh, and that it can ensnare us. And so what happens then? What is supposed to happen in the community of the church? Paul is very clear. A Christian brother or sister has stumbled. They've been entangled. They've been snared by sin. How are we to respond? He says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. And we've got to understand what that word spiritual means now. Who are these spiritual people? Right? Is that the pastor? Is that the elders? Are these like spiritual mega-Christians that kind of fly in with their you know, Holy Spirit cape and rescue these people? 
the, the, the sort of superior, um, incredibly holy people that you meet from time to time that just kind of walk into a room and you're blessed? That's not exactly what he's talking about. Remember, he's just expanding on chapter 5. And he said who the spiritual people were. People that had fruit of the Spirit. So if you're a Christian and you're walking at the moment and you're exhibiting fruit of the Spirit and you have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control and all of those things, then you are the spiritual one that needs to come alongside this brother or sister who you have found ensnared and trapped in sin. They don't want to be there. Okay, trust me. Brothers and sisters, you find a Christian who is caught in sin they really don't want to be there. As much as they might try to hide it, as much as they might try to rationalize it, as much as they might try to avoid it, as much as they might try to put you off, they don't want to be there and they need you to come along and hold out your hand and rescue them from the snare that they are in. And so Paul just says, you who have the fruit of the Spirit on display, you spiritual people, you come alongside Because the last person you want engaged in counseling or teaching or caring or restoring someone trapped in sin is the guy who doesn't have any fruit of the Spirit, right? Like, I don't really love that much. I'm not all that joyful. I'm unkind and I'm harsh. But I'll come give you a hand. No, that's not the guy you want. Paul says, I want want the people with the fruit of the Spirit on display to be helping these brothers and sisters who are in trouble. And so Paul says, you who are spiritual, restore that trapped one. We come to the fourth word, restore. And it's important to see the expected response to finding someone caught in sin. It's restoration. It's rescuing. Okay, and that may seem obvious, or or maybe it's not so obvious because it's not our job to rat them out. If you find a brother or sister who is struggling in the mud, if you find a brother or sister who is ensnared and trapped by sin, it's not your job to scold them or to shun them. It's our job, if we are spiritual, to restore them. And that word that Paul chooses here for restoration is katartizio. Katartizio, which means it gets its root from the setting of a joint. And so Paul is essentially painting a picture here of someone that's out of joint. Have you ever seen, I traveled a lot, and uh, I went to uh, Egypt a couple of times, and I've been to India, and I've been to the Ukraine, and places like that. And in developing countries, they don't really take care of their their dogs all that well, or their cats, okay? Most of them are just packs kind of roaming wild in the street. And every time when you go there, you see these poor dogs and cats that are limping around in the streets, and they've got, like, shoulders out of joint, and they've, got, they've been in fights, and they've got elbows out of joint, and you see these poor dogs limping around in the street, and they just look in pain all the time. And Paul says, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who have got their life out of joint, And they are walking around ensnared by sin and they are disjointed and they are suffering in the ensnarement or the entrapment of their sin. And Paul says, your job is to restore them. It's to reset that joint. And the writer of Hebrews, who probably wasn't Paul, we don't know who the writer of Hebrews was, it probably wasn't Paul, but clearly had Paul's same picture in mind, inspired by the same Holy Spirit. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12, all discipline for the moment, seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. And yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness and therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight the paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. This is the normal Christian life together. It's normal to run into and find our brothers and sisters 
entangled in sin from time to time. They've stumbled. They've got disjointed. And it's normal for us who are spiritual to come and make their path straight and make the limb not be put out of joint but to be healed. This is the purpose of Christian accountability, of Christian fellowship, of Christian engagement with those who are momentarily trapped by sin. It's to restore and to make healthy. We're not a church that tries to scold or rat people out or shun people because we find them in sin. Instead, we come alongside and we get them back on track and rescue them. We want to restore and make healthy. Abuse and anger, and jealousy, and strife, and sexual immorality, and addiction, those dislocations, those broken bones in a healthy spiritual life, and they need restoration. They need healing. Which is why Paul's next phrase now, when you understand that word, cartatesio, which is why Paul's next phrase now makes so much sense. How is it that we do that restoration? And he says, in a spirit of gentleness. Because Paul is well aware of how absolutely sensitive this situation is. He knows how painful the disjointed sinful life is to the Christian and how hurtful the operation of restoration is. So he only wants the spiritual ones doing it and doing it gently. And here's the thing to keep in mind when you're reading these verses. I just want you to get this part too. It's really important. When we read these verses like this, Most of the time, I think, we're thinking about our duty to approach others trapped in their sin. We presume we are the spiritual ones and we are to go gently and restore those who are stumbling. And that's what Paul's talking about. But recognize that these verses work in both directions for us in the church. Because we could be the one going to restore, and we like to read the verses that way, that we're the gentle ones that are restoring others, we're the spiritual ones. But these verses come around for us eventually. We are the one that is trapped. We are the one that is ensnared. And it is someone else who is coming to us gently to restore us. Because sin has come upon us. We've trespassed against others. We've offended. We've gotten angry. We've abused. We've belittled. We've gotten caught up in jealousy over our own little territory. Or we're in strife and disagreement with a brother or sister. Or we will be the one with an addiction to the things of this world. We will be the selfish one. Or we will be the thief. Or we will be the immoral. And so this verse will come around for us. And a brother or sister will have to come to us to restore us gently. And we need to be ready to listen to that restoration with gentleness, to those that are trying to reset our disjointed flesh. But what usually happens is that someone comes, and no matter how gently they come, in the most circumspect way, in the kindest words, they try to bring up an area in your life where there is an entrapment of sin, and we we cry out at their setting of our joint, and we say, stop being hurtful. Why are you so mean to come and say this to me? You're supposed to be gracious. Don't poke me there because that hurts. And these verses come back for us and we have to remember that as gentle as our brothers and sisters try to be, this is resetting a broken bone. This is resetting an out-of-place joint and it will be hurtful. And so we have to respond in gentleness because these verses work in both directions. And so we can all agree. Can we just all agree that we're going to be gentle when we approach people? to reset their brokenness? And can we agree that when people come to us to point out our hurt, that we'll be gentle in response so that we don't cause more hurt or more problems in the process of trying to solve the problem? And Paul basically brings that up in his next phrase. He says, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. 
Paul says, treat them kindly and guard your heart because you aren't so different. Jonathan Edwards is an incredible pastor, incredible author. I have the, the complete works of Jonathan Edwards. It's like this thick. It's awesome. And he's a great American revival pastor of the mid-1700s. And he developed 70 resolutions from Scripture that he would live his life by. 70 life resolutions. And resolution number eight reads this from Jonathan Edwards. Resolved to act in all respects, both speaking and doing, as if nobody had been so vile as I, and as if I had committed the same sins or had the same infirmities or failings as others, and that I will let the knowledge of their failings promote nothing but shame in myself and prove only an occasion of my confessing my own sins in misery to God. What an amazing resolution. Jonathan Edwards basically said, when I see someone else sinning, the only emotion I'm going to let it cultivate in me is shame in my own sin. And I'm going to assume I'm just as bad as they are. In fact, I am just as bad as they are. That there, but for the grace of God, go I. And this is how we're to approach the sinfulness of others. And the sad thing is the church has not done well at this at all as a whole. When I say the church, I mean the North American church as a whole. Instead of the church reminding ourselves that we are just as much born children of wrath, we have instead at times puffed ourselves up and taken an attitude that is almost gloating over the sinfulness of others and said, look how terrible they are. Aren't they horrible, sinful people? Shame on us. The sinfulness of others should only cultivate in ourselves shame in our own sin and a concern for their restoration. Never a gloating, never a conceit. That has no business in the church. The heart of one who is spiritual towards anyone trapped in sin is a heart of compassion and gentleness and humility at our own weakness. Paul says, each one examine yourself that you not be tempted because you are not that far off from where that sinning person is. The church is a place where you find compassion and shared experience in your brokenness, not to wallow in it, but to be led out of it. It's a place to find people ready to take you by the hand and lead you out of the pit of addiction or guide you out of the pain of your anger or to show you the way out of sexual immorality is to have brothers and sisters alongside of you who are bearing that burden with you. Any one of you could stand on this stage, and I'm not asking you to do that, but any one of you could stand on this stage. I could stand on this stage and I could, I could talk about any sin you could imagine that has entrapped me or entrapped you, and you would find 20, 30, 40, 50 brothers and sisters out there who have been exactly where you are. So nobody can lord it over anybody here. There is nothing that you're trapped in right now today that you could confess that there are not brothers and sisters that could come alongside of you and say, I was there. I've been in that trap. I've been ensnared by that. I've been caught up in my anger. I've been caught up in sexual immorality. I've been caught up in addiction. I've been caught up in jealousy. I've been caught up in greed. I've been caught up in all of that stuff before. And I can help you bear that. And Paul is saying that's the normal church life. That's the normal Christian life together. But it has to be done. The imperative here, the command remains, restore such a one. It has to be done in the church or the church isn't doing its job. 
So Paul gives the command again in the general case now. He's talking specifically about sin and now quickly he talks about in the general case of what the church is to be like normally. He says in verse 2, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. And Paul shifts his language now from the specific language of trespass and restoration to the general principle of burdens. And he just says burdens, baros. It's just a weight pressing down, placing a demand on you. He says, bear each other's burden. And I love that it's such a general word. What's a burden? Any burden. What's weighing you down? What is putting pressure on you today? It could be sin, but it could be financial. It could be relational. It could be emotional. It could be anything. It could be whatever is crushing you. When Paul writes to the Corinthian church, of his struggles in his ministry life as he is doing his his missionary journeys. Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he explains what he's going through so that they can pray for him and help him. And he says in 2 Corinthians 1, he says, we were utterly burdened. It's the same word, baros. We were utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. This is the normal Christian life. This is Paul. This is the Apostle Paul. And he says, I was so burdened, I despaired of even life itself. And Paul says, we are to bear each other's baros burdens, the weight that oppresses us. We're to do this together as a church. Like I said, it could be financial, it could be health, it could be single parenting, it could be your sin, it could be your anger, it could be your addiction, it could be secret immorality or adultery, whatever your burden is, Paul calls the church to be burden lifters. Get alongside people and get under their burden and lift that burden together with them. We don't add to people's burdens, we lift them together. And if you want more on that topic of burden lifting in the church, I actually preached that sermon in November of 2013 and you can go to the, you can go to that address there and, uh, should be there. There it is. You can go to that address and get that sermon on burden lifting. I won't go into it anymore. And then Paul concludes the general case this way. These last verses. He says, For if anyone thinks he is coming when he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another, for each one will bear his own load. And I've got to finish with this because let's be honest, you have to address these verses. It sounds a lot like a contradiction at first reading. That Paul just said, bear one another's burdens, and then he said everybody will be responsible for carrying their own load and give an account for themselves. But we just have to understand them again in Paul's context. Paul is emphasizing again the importance of humble self-inspection. So he's saying as you restore these people... Look to yourself. As you bear these burdens, consider yourself. We don't do anything without recognizing that we will all stand before God accountable for our own walk. And as we are living together in this church family, we have to guard our own hearts and we have to carry our own portion well. Romans 14 is where Paul talks about this again later on as he writes another letter to the Romans. He says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. So then each of us will give an account of himself for God. This is all Paul's talking about here. He's saying, yes, restore one another. Yes, bear one another's burdens. But yes, guard your own heart. And yes, be aware of what you've been asked to carry. 
just be self-aware in the body so that you're not judging others for their sin or you're not saying, why am I carrying all this weight? How come they can't take care of this? This is easy. Why do I have to carry this for them? This is so simple. And that's the thing with burden bearing. Some burdens you carry for a couple of days and they're done. And some burdens you will carry for people for their whole life as they struggle. Some burdens you take care of in a couple of meetings and some burdens go on and on and on and on and on and you are carrying that burden with a brother for a long time. And Paul is just saying, look, be careful, A, that you're not burdening people unnecessarily, but more importantly, he's saying, make sure that you understand that you're carrying your own portion and you don't judge your brother based on what God's given them to carry. If we're going to speak... Or if we're going to boast about anything, it will only be in regard to ourselves, not how we compare ourselves to someone else. We can't say, well, you know, God, look at his faith or look at his walk. You know, look at him struggling under his burdens and I'm carrying mine just fine. Paul's saying you can't do that. And you can't do the opposite. You can say, oh, you know, look at the heavy burden that I have to carry and that guy's got nothing to carry. Paul says, no, if you're going to speak, you're going to speak about the portion that God gave you. We are to bear our load and carry each other's burden as well. And it seems odd, it seems in contradiction, but there's a difference. That word, you remember, I mentioned burden, is baros. It is a weight pressing down and placing demand. But when Paul is talking about inspecting ourselves and considering our own load, he doesn't use the word baros. He changes it, and we change it in the English from burden to load, But when you change burden to load in English, it doesn't have the same effect of changing it from baros in the Greek to portion in the Greek. Portion. So when Paul says each of you carry your own load, he's saying you all have your portion to carry. It doesn't have anything to do with weight. It just has to do with what God has called you in your life. And so because of that difference, Jesus is able to say in Matthew 11.30, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden, and he says there, portion is light. He explicitly says, what I have given you to carry in comparison to what you could be carrying is light. My yoke is easy on you. My portion is light. And Paul is just saying, you're going to give an account for what Jesus called you to carry. You can't compare yourself to the portion that others have because you don't know what Jesus caused them to carry. We're each called in the church to carry our own portion. And when we see a brother or sister struggle, when they are pressed down as Paul was in despair to the point of losing life itself, we are to help them with that. But don't compare, don't measure your portion against those of others. You have been given exactly what is meant for you to carry. And if you're walking in the spirit, the yoke and the portion that Jesus gave you is light by comparison to the baros or the weight of sin that he bore for you. Jesus bore the weight so that our portion could be light. So what does that mean for us, church, then? This is how we are to walk and live by the Spirit together. Most specifically and importantly, that we are to fight this battle against our flesh together. It's the normal spiritual life that we will struggle against our flesh. And Paul says it's the normal life of the church that brothers and sisters will get ensnared in sin from time to time. And our job is to come alongside and restore them and to bear each other's burdens together. We were not left alone to walk our Christian walk by ourselves, but instead God put us in the church for a reason. That when we see someone walking with a spiritual limp or a broken bone or trapped in sin, we are to restore them, to heal them, to reach out a hand and lead them out of the trap and back into health and to do it gently and with humility. 
and more generally we're to bear each other's burdens, whatever they are, fully aware that we cannot complain or gloat about the portion that we have to carry. We can't compare ourselves to others and pretend we're carrying ours well and theirs poorly. We have to give an account for our own portion. So we ask ourselves, church, are we that? Are we this people that Paul envisioned that would be very real about the struggle against our sin and the burdens that we bear and that we would come alongside and we would lift those burdens? It's Father's Day, so I've got to say it again. I wonder if Jesus was here, men, if he would ask, do you even lift, bro? Do you get alongside and do you even lift, bro? Do you see the brother or sister who is struggling, especially fellow brothers? And do you get alongside them and lift them up? The normal spiritual life, the normal Christian life is lived together in community, in family. Don't leave a brother snared. Don't leave a sister trapped. Don't watch another struggle under a burden they cannot bear. In humility and in gentleness and in self-control, in love, reach out and lift that burden and restore them and you will fulfill the law of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this people in this church that I know so many, and, and, and I had examples in here, and there, I know there's people here, Lord, and I just, I just, you know, I call them out spiritually, that they're there, that, that they know who they are, that they just, they're lifting burdens week in and week out, and we know who they are because they've come and lifted our burdens for us, and we see them going from house to house and driving to hospitals and, and coming alongside and teaching and Bible study and discipling, and, and they are struggling alongside. We know that we have those people that have that gift, but you call all of us to this. Paul doesn't say, you who have this gift. He says, you who are spiritual. And so, Lord, you call us all to lift We're to be lifters and we're to be restorers and face the reality of our sin head on, but not wallow in it, but to reset the joints and heal the broken bones and rescue those that are trapped. Father God, and that is your church. That's how your church is normally meant to be. And it's who we want to be as a people. So by your Holy Spirit, make us that. In Christ's name, amen.